quick note before we start this week's show, the Southampton Women's FC have made it to another Hampshire FA Cup final. They'll be taking on the Portsmouth FC ladies on Wednesday, March 28th at 7.45 p.m. The location is Havant and Waterlooville FC, so head down there, wear red and white, make the girls feel at home as they try to bring home a title. And now, here's the show. You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. I'm really happy to be here. It's a pleasure for me. I would like uh, to make the most of this opportunity. And now, your host, Matt Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone, and no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. As always, this show is brought to you in partnership with The Saints Report. For all your Southampton FC news and needs, be sure to check out The Saints Report on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. The links are in the show notes. You will not be disappointed. And speaking of avoiding disappointment, this week's show promises to be a good one. I am joined by Michael Kern. You may know Michael uh, from his work on the Premier League productions on Premier League TV, both as a sideline reporter and an in-studio presenter. Uh, He's also the voice of Hampshire cricket, England hockey, and was part of the team that covered the Olympic and Paralympic Games in Rio in 2016. Uh, He is from the Hampshire area. Uh, He is a Southampton fan, and we were introduced to one another uh, kind of by chance, and we'll, we'll talk about that during the interview, but uh, it was a pleasure to be able to talk to Michael about uh, his career, about growing up and, and, and becoming a Premier League presenter and um, kind of what that's meant to him. And we also discuss his new and upcoming book, Desire, Dream, Vision, uh, and, and we'll get into all of that and links to all of those things are in the show notes. There is his website. There is the Desire, Dream, Vision website. There is also uh, links to his Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that stuff. So you can get in touch with him as well. Michael was gracious enough to give me his time to talk not only about his career and about his book and all of that stuff, which I was supremely interested in, uh, just kind of reading through and watching him interact with people uh, online, but also uh, to talk about the team and to talk about Southampton and and what it's been like to watch the team and get the perspective of of Franny Benali and Wayne Bridge and other former pros who are looking back at the team and, and kind of... Uh, that he is in a position to kind of get their opinion on, on the team and things like that. So uh, it was wonderful to be able to talk to him about that and to get his kind of take on things. And, uh, you know, we break down the Burnley game, which was for the most part forgettable. There wasn't a whole lot uh, to write home about, about the game. We did get a point, which was important because every point at this point in the season, uh, is, is going to be vital and important if we are going to stay up, but we'll take care of all of that in its time. Uh, but we do spend a lot of time talking about Michael and his career and uh, there are some fascinating stories that he has, uh, and I don't want to ruin them. So let's go to that interview now, and I will talk to you on the other side. The 
We'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SFC fans, Michael Kern. Uh, you may know Michael from his work on the Premier League TV network or many other places. And and Michael, thanks for joining me and uh, pleasure to talk about work and Saints and Desire Dream Vision and everything else you have going on. So welcome to the show and, and thanks for thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, so I, I think to, to start, I, I first kind of met you or, or was introduced to you via, uh, Premier League fan zone. Uh, one uh-huh. day you had, uh, a guest on that was a former Southampton player. And as I'm, as I'm coming on the show, it's kind of like, oh my, oh my goodness, you're, you're a Saints fan. He's a Saints player. I'm a Saints fan. And this is like, <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time. Cause a lot of times it seems like no. Southampton is further down the pecking order. Um, but since then I've been kind of on this you know, do I message him? Do I say something? Do I ask him? And, and when I finally, you know, some friends just told me, just ask and see what he says. And, and here you are. So, so thank you. Hey, no problem at all. It was uh, great to have you on fans. I think it was, uh, Franny Bernardi was on the day that you came on. Um, I think when I first kind of met you, so, uh, yeah, it's not often we get one of those kind of little saints lovings. Sometimes, uh, I've had Wayne Bridge a couple of times as well. So it's, uh, rare, but you know, we make the most of it when we do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, the past couple of times I've been on, it's been to talk about relegation. So <laughs> hopefully we can change <laughs> yeah, that a little bit. But hey, for this week, we're out of the we're out of the bottom three on goal difference. So that's that's uh, that's something. Um, yeah, sure. We'll take that. But before we, we kind of move into to the matches and everything else, um, you grew up in Southampton. Is that correct? Yep. And I'm still here. I'm still in, uh, in st- sunny today as well. So I'm here in sunny Southampton. Nice. Nice. And so do you make the trip into to London for a lot of your a lot of your work then? Yeah. So the studio for the Premier League channel is around Heathrow Airport. So for me, if you know Southampton well, the M3 corridor, uh, nice and simple. Jump on the M3 at Winchester and it takes me about an hour and 10 minutes. Um, so that's nice and easy. Get to kind of stay on the South Coast. And then I get sent to a lot of games as well. Um, so they tend to keep me on the South Coast. So I go to St. Mary's a lot to cover the games down to Bournemouth, our little neighbors down the road. So, yeah, they kind of keep me on the South Coast, but send me wherever. So I go to the grounds. I was up at West Brom yesterday. Um, but, yeah, traveling is part of the job, but I love it. Yeah. All right. Um, and, and so growing up on the South Coast in Southampton, what what role did kind of watching Saints and, and being a part of, of of the football club or watching the football club, well, what role did that play with you growing up? Was your family kind of involved or were it, was it just you or when did you really become interested in, in the sport and in the team? So football has been part of my life since I can remember. My ambition growing up as a kid was to pull on the red and white stripes and play for Southampton. And I think I got my first Saints shirt when I was, I think the day I was born, I think. So Southampton's always been a massive, massive part of my life. And so played football when I was younger, started off out on pitch, then played in goal. But the dream was always to kind of play for Saints one day. So, yeah, it's always been a massive part of my life, really, Southampton. And going to watch the games, remember going to the Dell, some real fond memories of that. Um, I was quite lucky that my second cousin got was a guy called Neil Hopper. Um, so he was, still is. Um, and he played for Saints um, back in the 90s, um, made a couple of appearances on the bench for the first team, but played a lot with the youth teams when Laurie was there. Um, so I used to go and watch him play for the reserves. So loads of trips to the Dell. And then, of course, when we moved to St. Mary's, I had a season ticket for the first four years there. And then my football playing career took over. So I was busy playing on Saturday, so couldn't get to as many games. And, you know, even today, I get to go to St. Mary's quite a bit. I've been a lot more as a fan this year, which has been nice. I get quite a lot of games working. So actually, it was quite nice. I've had about four or five games this season that I've been able to to go as a fan, which has uh, been interesting this year. But hey, got to keep it positive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to, to you kind of being a fan before, uh, the, the kind of presenting became a, a thing. Um, 
when you were when you would go and watch, was there was there a particular away ground that you really fancied going to, or or did you mainly just try to stay around St Mary's? Um, so I went to a few away games. Um, so I went to Newcastle once. That was an interesting one because it was the I think it was year two thousand, and the game got abandoned before it even kicked off because there was loads of snow. So we got all the way to Durham, oh, and no. funny enough, Wayne Bridges' auntie was in the coach in front of us, and she phoned all the coaches and said, "Look, the game's been cancelled." Um, so got all the way there pretty much, and then had to come back. Um, but we did go for the rearranged fixture which was a midweek Tuesday night I think and it was still freezing cold but uh I got a day off school so it was it was worth it but um yeah St James's Park was good and then I remember going to Villa Park to watch Saints play in the FA Cup semi-final um but yeah I didn't do too many away grounds growing up watching um but yeah there's a couple that you know it was was always nice to go and watch Saints on the road when I had a chance yeah uh any, any particular goal that you remember growing up and is there one that kind of stands out that you saw live or is it just the ones that we see kind of, uh, you know, on the on the highlights? Do you know what? I'm going to have to go for a live goal. And I was at the Dell, that game versus Arsenal, last ever league match there when Tizzy came on, one touch, two touch, three touch goal. Um, that was a magical moment, you know, being a Saints fan, a special day with that last ever, you know, Premier League fixture there. It was kind of written in the stars and to kind of witness that bit of magic from Matt, because as we kind of left the Dell and got to St. Mary's, you know, I, I kind of saw the latter end and can remember the latter end of, of the magic that he kind of really was able to weave. And, you know, I watch all the highlights now on video of some of the goals that Matt scored and you think, wow, you know, what a player he actually, you know, was. And I can say still is because I've played against him in a charity game. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to see that goal was amazing. Just to witness that mastery of just, okay, then give me the ball. One, two, off the knee, in we go. Um, was, was a magical goal to see. Yeah, I I obviously have never played with anybody of that skill level, but not even I've never even played with anybody that's just that much better than than the rest of the people around them. You know, because sometimes you yeah. get you get out there and and so I, I've seen that goal you know hundreds of times on on replay, and it's always it it never ceases to amaze me just the the skill and grace that he played with, um, despite what anybody says uh, about him not moving or or you know whatever it is, he's fantastic and and. I don't know. I will always admire some of the things that you can do because I can't do any of that stuff. I, I basically just kind of get in the way of people and that's my job. Um, <laughs> if you're that good with a football, hey, why do you need to run around and chase after it? Yeah, no, just 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 put it, play it into his feet. He'll he'll do the rest. Um, so you mentioned you were pretty involved in, in playing. Uh, when when did kind of playing football for you kind of come to an end? Uh, so it came for an end uh, properly as trying to make it as a professional about 2000 and seven 2008 um i tore the cartilage in my right knee and it was one of those where i kind of had the realization i was never going to make it to the premier league and never play for saints so it was kind of one of those where you know i could still play and i could have got to an all right decent level um you know growing up i played for the tire rep squad i played district level at trials at bournemouth um so i wasn't too bad played wessex league at about 16 17 so you know, there was a level I could have attained, but I never would have reached the top. And I guess for me, it was kind of a decision of, well, I'm not going to make it as a professional to the standard I want to. So how else can I get there was my little bit of realization I had. And when I was at college, I did a bit of local radio and, and bits and pieces there. And I kind of thought, OK, maybe I've got a knack and maybe I could talk my way to the Premier League and did it by the time I was 24. So didn't do too bad. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. It's uh and so is that like when you were in college is that kind of when the the presenting thing started to to become a almost a, a realization or a reality for you? Yeah, so that was my kind of real first taste of broadcast. Before that, I'd done a bit of musical theater growing up. I was that kid that kind of did everything. A um, little bit of singing. I did the Montreux Jazz Festival over in uh, in 2007. Um, did musical theater with Stampton Musical Society. So I was always kind of had that little bit of entertainment string as well to to my bow. 
And yeah, college did that radio station, was playing for the college sports teams and kind of thought, okay, this is, um, this could be something that I need to explore a little bit more. And I was very lucky when I left college, met a guy called Tommy Boyd, who had a breakfast show on Original 106. And he kind of took me under his wing, mentored me, and I managed to get an exclusive interview with Gordon Strachan at his house in Warsash. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the, those early sparks that really kind of encouraged me to push on and think, well, okay, maybe this is another way to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, going about your, your career, I'm sure there have been struggles and, and setbacks and, and things like that. Uh, any one particular struggle or, or anything that kind of stands out or challenge that stands out to you in, in, in terms of trying to establish yourself in, in the career field? Uh, I think the biggest thing is time and patience. And it's, it's a really weird one, but things take time and things have this funny way of working themselves out when you're ready. Um, you know, I've been very lucky now. I've been working at the Premier League channel for four years now. And I remember when I very first started, I was like, brilliant. I'm pitch side. I'm doing reporting. This is great. How do I get into the studio? And you know, I just made, did all the right things and went and shadowed people and, and learned from everyone in the studio. And then all of a sudden they felt the time was right. They gave me a studio show. And then the next year, the next studio show happened and, and things have grown over time. And I think when you're in the moment and chasing the dream, it, it can be tough. And there's been times with with other projects that I've worked on thinking, come on, I'm ready for the ready for the next step now. And I kind of look back now and think, God, you were nowhere near ready. But it's just <laughs> understanding that and appreciating it. You know that, you know, time is is a massive thing. You know, you you grow, you develop and, you know, we always think we're ready for things. But sometimes I think just life has a funny way of, of working it out. And if you can kind of appreciate that time aspect and you know I look at it now I'm 28 years old um, and I'm presenting the Premier League to the world TV feed and a lot of my colleagues are mid 30s so I've got a long way to go yet and lots more learning to do and I'm very lucky I've kind of managed to get my head around the concept of time quite early on and you know I, I it does get frustrating when you think oh I could be doing that I want to be doing that but um you know it will come when it's ready yeah and I know doing the podcast, you know, there are other podcasts out there that talk about saints and, and, you know, I, there's always this kind of weird thing where is it, are, are we competition for one another or are we working together? And does it, does it feel like that when you're working with, with some of your colleagues that, that presented the premier league, is, is there some sort some sense of competition between you guys in terms of, you know, you, you want to get the show and everybody else wants to get the next show or is it more of a, you know, what can we do to help each other out? Do you know what? I think it's more of the latter of, of helping each other out. You know, I've, I've come across some amazing people in the industry so far. I mentioned Tommy, who kind of took me under his wing when he first started. There was a, a really good presenter. He's now working at, over at Fox Asia, a guy called John Dykes. Um, brilliant broadcast, absolutely phenomenal. And I remember when I first started the Premier League, you know, I wanted to be sat in his seat. That's that's the job I wanted. And, and still, that's my long term goal is to be in that seat that, you know, Manish now sits in, but John Dykes was sat in. And, you know, everyone's just really helpful. And I think, you know, if you're just genuine, nice and helpful and, and you're good at what you do, um, I think it's the best way to be. You know, you there, there is competition, you know, no, you can't really say there isn't because, you know, there are lots of people fighting for the same kind of jobs. But I think if you do what you do, do it well and and share. And I'm a big fan of collaboration. You know, if you can work with people, you develop and grow yourself. And, you know, people like Mark Pugach have been phenomenal, always full of advice. And even the guests you have on like Dion Dublin and, and Don Hutch, you know, they're all brilliant with encouraging you and giving you advice. And I think it makes you better. And if you're if you look at it more in a positive light than thinking it's competition, I think it puts you in a much better position. Oftentimes when I do the podcast, there's always like one one time where I'm like, oh, that I, like I missed a huge opportunity there. Or I wish I would have asked this question or as soon as we hang up, I'll, I'll, I'll figure something else out that I should have <laughs> asked you. Yeah. Do you feel like that sometimes when you have Franny on or when you have Wayne Bridge on like 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 you missed a, a chance? Um. Yes and no, really. I guess it's one of those, you know, you've got to keep keep your head focused on the fact that you're, you're doing a show and 
you know, especially when you talk about a topic of like Southampton, you know, you've always got to be very conscious that, you know, it's not just you and them, you know, there's a, there's a global audience watching you. And I always kind of have the premise that the person behind the camera lens is your best friend. So I always try and, you know, get people involved, but you know, um, look, you know, I guess there's always questions that you want to ask. And I, I guess for me in, in the world of TV, the shows move quite quickly. So, you know, before a program, I'll make loads of notes of things I want to ask about, whether it be Southampton or Manchester United or Chelsea, whoever we're talking about. Um, and you maybe don't get to ask that question, but I guess it's something now, you know, as I've, as I've gone through the process more and more, you kind of highlight the questions and, you know, pick out the best bits. And, you know, there will be times you don't ask a question that you think is a really good question, but, you know, these things happen and, you know, hopefully there's another chance to ask it another day. You know, in my mind, I think I look at uh, at the work you do and and I have this kind of perception of, of what that life must be like. But is there anything that, you know, is there a misconception out there about what what goes on behind the scenes? Like, you know, what what don't we see that you do to prepare for a show or or an interview or whatever it is, you know, that that most people outside outside of, of your job don't understand? Um, I guess when you look at people that work in TV and kind of that entertainment kind of side of things, I guess you, everyone kind of has this perception that it's very kind of glamorous and all very showbiz, but it's um, just like any job really, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed to do it. And I work with a great team of people from the runners to the, the ladies in makeup to, you know, everyone that's part of the team, the directors, the sound, the lighting. Um, yeah. So it's just like every other job, really. I'm kind of uh, tremendously blessed to do it, but there's lots of prep that goes in, you know, I've, on a, on a general day of a show, I'll, you know, make lots of notes. If you've, if you've seen fans own, you'll still have an iPad and it's full of information, which I've spent the day and weeks really preparing. You know, you're always with my job, you've got to be learning and watching and seeing what's happening, you know, and looking at different games that are happening. How do those games affect each team? Because you've got to be able to pull that information quite quickly. So yeah, there's lots of prep that goes with it. Don't get me wrong that you get the opportunity to do some really fun stuff and, you know, you get access behind the scenes and you get to call people friends that you grew up watching on television that were playing football that you wanted to play football with. So yeah, but it's, it's a job. It's like every other one's job. There's, there's lots of work you have to do, but I think when you love it, it makes it a lot easier and it's, it's lots of fun. Yeah. And I can say that social media is probably, uh, I guess broken down that barrier a little bit. Um, I know there are some presenters out there who will basically just say like, this is my Friday. And I think, uh, I think Jules Breach did that last, last Friday. She just said like, this is my week I'm preparing for, you know, the, the BT sports show that she was presenting. And it was basically just, you know, just sp- uh, not spreadsheets, but just word document after word document after word document, lots of tea and work. And, and I think, you know, uh, people don't realize, you know, I, I sent you an outline for the show and, and I, I do that every week and it's a try to, I try to be on a schedule with it, but sometimes it's late. And, but, you know, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think, I think like you said, it, it, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but if you enjoy it and if it's, uh, if you feel like you're learning from it and getting better. I think that's all you can do. Yeah. If you get paid to talk about sport and read newspapers and make notes about sport and watch loads and loads of sport, I think you're incredibly lucky. So, um, you know, there are days you wake up and go, oh, no, I need to read all those newspapers today. But do you know what? There's worse things to be doing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I guess take us through a, a normal day in your in your life in terms of, you know, when you wake up and it's maybe a Premier League uh, fan zone day or maybe another show that you're doing. Uh, what does that look like? Do you have any routines or rituals that you kind of follow? And, and just so people kind of get an idea of what your day looks like. Yeah. So kind of a, a fan zone day for me, um, I have to be in the studio by just after lunchtime. So I'll tend to get up in the morning quite leisurely. I'll go to the gym, do a bit of a workout and kind of find that's a good way to kind of get rid of any nervous energy or if I'm too excited about a guest that I've got coming in or just excited to be in the studio. Um, so I head to the studio, get there about 12.30ish, grab a bit of lunch, catch up with a few people around the studio. And then I'll sit down with the producer, which is normally a guy called DK, who's a really good lad. 
Uh, and we'll just run through the show, talk through a few ideas we've got, what topics we're going to talk about, what callers we've got in. Um, I'll then go back to the dressing room and I'll just make loads of notes about each team, what's happened to them, what their next fixtures are, where they're looking like in the league, what's the kind of key stories coming out of the club. Uh, and then we'll go into the studio about half an hour before we go on air. Um, I'll have a quick chat with the guests just to make sure they're happy with everything we're going to do. We'll maybe just do a little rehearsal of the top of the show, like the little bit of the intro we do. If we've got any VTs, which is like the little videos in and out of the break, we'll just practice those and then kind of relax about five, 10 minutes before we go on air. And then, um, then we're away, do one show uh, with fan zone typically, and then have about three or four hours off. So again, just have a little bit of a debrief after, pick up some things that we can maybe expand on for the next show. If there's matches coming up that evening, if it's a Champions League night, Europa League night, we'll look at the teams that might play and then we'll do the whole same thing again. Different show, but, um, you know, same format, different topics of conversation. We tend to kind of stick around kind of similar themes on a day on fan zone. And then I'll come off there about kind of half past seven o'clock, get in the car and head back home and go to sleep. All right. That's it's a, it's a full day, but it's uh, it sounds sounds good. And you know, sometimes you know, that first show that you guys do is, is three 30 or so your time usually. And that's like yeah. when I'm, when I'm going to work and on, on TV here, it says like the AM show. And I'm like, I know you guys are in the afternoon. And then, um, one of the producers, uh, maybe it's not a producer, uh, but somebody, whoever schedules the people on Skype, you know, yeah. uh, they message me and they're like, Hey Matt, are you there? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I just woke up. And they're like, what time is it? I'm like four 15. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, you know, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, that's the thing, right? When we go out globally, you know, you, you forget there's loads of different time zones. You know, we go out in the Far East, go out in India, we go Africa, America. Um, so, yeah, you kind of really think some of these guys that come on and, and girls that come on, you know, stay up till like stupid o'clock in the morning to come on Fan Zone. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's great. Um, so one kind of last thing before we we get on to, to Southampton, which is really, you know, the, what brought us together in the first place. Um, you seem to be very, very dedicated and, and motivated around the idea of charity work and, and things like that. And also kind of motivational uh, speaking and, and just motivation in general uh, around your your book that's coming out, Desire, Dream, Vision. Uh, but how did how did that get started? And was that always something that you found yourself interested in? or, or And if not, like kind of when did that become uh, a thing that you were in, interested in? Um, I've always been a fan of giving back. And I feel very blessed to the job I get to do and the opportunities it gives to me. And I love the opportunity to kind of give back if I'm hosting a charity event or, or getting involved with charities. I'm an ambassador for Dare to Express, which is a mental health charity and Rose Road, uh, which is a Southampton based charity, which, um, which I absolutely love doing, giving back and just making a bit of a difference. But Desire Dream Vision for me um, was something that was kind of my philosophy growing up when I played football. I was a massive Muhammad Ali fan and still am. And one of the one of my favorite quotes I absolutely love is he said that champions aren't made in gyms. Champions are made from something deep inside, a desire, a dream and a vision. You've got to have the skill and the will, but the will's got to be stronger than the skill. And that kind of just stuck with me in my childhood and kind of was like, okay, if you've got a bit of skill, you've got to have the will and not give up and keep going. And you've got to desire something, dream about it and visualize it. Um, and I got asked to go back to my old school and do a little bit of a talk um, and do prize giving at Wyvern in Fair Oak. And they said, can you do a little bit of a talk and tell us about your journey? And I spoke about Ali and Desire Dream Vision. And they asked me for my kind of secrets of success and bits and pieces. And the talk off the back of that just grew. And I thought, oh, OK, I love this. And chatting to people and sharing my story and the lessons that I had learned was amazing. And you see these younger people's eyes light up and hearing it from someone that's still going through the process. I've, I'm not someone that's completed this journey and sat in some ivory tower saying, this is how you do it. You know, look at me, I've, I've made it. Um, I'm still going through the process. I never know when my last ever show is going to be. I might never reach the top or where my goals are, but I'm going through it. I'm very lucky and I'm learning lots. And I love sharing that when I do a talk and 
these kids' eyes open up going, okay, so you know, I can open my own, own restaurant or I'll set my own business up because all the principles in the book are, are transferable to any kind of industry. Um, so for me, it was just something I loved. And as soon as I realized that I can use my journey to inspire people, um, was just something that I really kind of fell in love with. And yeah, I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite things to do and love going into schools and businesses and just, and just sharing the desire, dream, vision, philosophy. I guess to see that, that project grow in, in that manner and kind of come from just out of, out of one talk and really being inspired that way. Like what, what's that felt like to you as, as you've gone through the, the process and the journey? It's been amazing. You know, I kind of got the opportunity to go and speak in more and more schools and share the story of my journey with so many more people. And it was amazing kind of to have the teachers come up to me as well and saying, do you know what? That was amazing. I've kind of just rethought my whole process of what I want to do in the next 12 months. You know, one teacher was like, oh, I've been trying to buy a house for ages, but never really done it. And after listening to your talk, I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to make it happen. And, and that was really nice. And one of them then said, oh, you know, you should write a book. And obviously that's been an incredibly cathartic process for me because I've had to look back on my whole journey and the challenges I've faced and everything I've done and broken it down to the chapters. And, you know, it's been an amazing process and it's, and it's made the talk even better. And, it's, um, yeah, it's been a real kind of eye opener as well. Some of the things there's like, I do a ch- chapter on social pressure, you know, with social media these days, you know, there's so much pressure on the younger generation and my generation. And I think all generations really, um, and actually writing that chapter, I realized how kind of wrapped up in the whole social media thing and the social pressure that I had become, which I didn't quite realize. So that was amazing for me. I'm, I'm learning and, you know, I've already started writing the second book with all the other things that I've learned since I've started writing the first one. So um, yeah, it's an amazing process and I think you can never stop learning. So it's a process for me. If one person buys a copy of the book and, and reads it and is inspired, you know what, that's, that's been worth all the time I've put into it. All right. All right. And I know that you can find the book or you can find information about the book on your website. Um, but mm-hmm. where, when that book is, is, is published, where will people be able to find it and where can they get more information if they're interested in, in contacting you for your talk or for anything else that, that they would be interested in, in kind of having you on for? Cool. So that's just, they just go to um, desiredreamvision.com and then obviously I'm on social media at Michael Kern and I tend to use the hashtag of uh, desiredreamvision quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And we will be sure to, to put the links to, to the website and all your social media stuff in the show notes. Of, easy click for people if they're not already following you. Although I'm, I assume that anybody who's following me and listening to the show probably already follows you, but who knows? Maybe there's a few people out there who who don't. Um, all right. Well that, I think, you know, you want to move on to the football now for now, and and maybe we'll come back to this. If, if, like I said before, something comes back to me uh, towards the end. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. Uh, you mentioned you were up at West Brom yesterday. Uh, Mm -hmm. was it nice? Was it cold? Was it, how, how did that game go? And what was that, what was that post-match interview like based on the result? It was freezing cold. Um, and I had a knee off about three, four days before. Um, so I was trying to keep my leg warm and kind of moving a little bit, um, sat in a tight little seat, but, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was an interesting game. Um, it was always one of those that was going to be quite nervy first 20, 25 minutes. Um, you know, both sides, bottom half the table, West Brom desperate for a win and, Huddersfield wanting that win as well to pull away from the bottom. So um, it was always going to be one of those games that you didn't want to concede the first goal. So the first half was end to end, a little bit scrappy, um, nothing really to write home about. Second half, Huddersfield just came straight out of the blocks, got two early goals. I think with West Brom, they're good at set pieces, but didn't really cause too many problems. They really struggle getting goals in open play and creating chances. So, um, you know, once they went kind of 2-0 down, they got one back, but you kind of always sense that Huddersfield kind of had it. I'm surprised it didn't kick on a bit more. Um, interviews at the end, it was a really interesting one, actually. I put a post on Instagram about it saying that 
um, so with my job, you know, you, you want to get as much as you can out of the interviews at the end. Um, so my first interview off the pitch with Huddersfield, very kind of jubilant and congratulations. You know, you've done well. It's the first time you've done a Premier League double. Great to come out of the blocks second half. Um, and then interviewing Craig Dawson from West Brom after, you know, it's kind of, you know, he doesn't really want to talk. He doesn't want to be there, you know, but, you know, it's his media obligation to do that. So, again, my tone completely changed. And I was like, look, it's been a tough day in the office. What's the belief in the camp? Can you do this? You know, made to rue those chances that you missed the second half. So, again, yeah, those interviews were were interesting. And actually, I was quite lucky. I managed to get quite a bit out of both the players. So, yeah, it's, it's always a tough game like that when you get to this end of the season when results matter, especially kind of in the situation that West Brom are and Huddersfield are, are close. There's not many points between everyone down in this bottom half and we're in, we're in the mix as well. It's, um, you know, it's tough because the players do feel it. You know, I guess sometimes you kind of look at games and you think, oh, the players aren't really giving it their all today, but they genuinely do care um, from my experience. So yeah, those interviews at full time can be fun. Yeah, yeah. And it, it- I guess some people would come off the pitch and they obviously, like you said, they don't really want to talk to you and they have to, but it's, uh, and you've seen some of those, like, you know, we've seen, uh, certain interviews come out afterwards and it's like, you know, uh, like Roy Hodgson, that one from several years ago kind of resurfaced on the internet recently. And it was like, Oh, that was kind of, yeah, it was a little bit testy, you know? And, um, and I guess you try to avoid that as a, as a, uh, as a presenter, because you want to get, you know, you want them to answer your questions. And when they show up next time, you want them to answer your questions and not kind of come into that with the, you know, maybe the wrong mindset or the wrong thoughts about, about you as a presenter. So I'm sure that's, uh, that's, that's nerve wracking and interesting and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And for me as well, I try and, I try and talk about the game. Um, I think it's very easy these days to kind of try and create a story and ask a question. You see it with a lot of Jose Mourinho interviews, you know, the other week, all everyone wanted to talk about was Pogba, not McTominay who had started. Um, so I'm very lucky, you know, working direct for the Premier League, you know, our brief is very much talk about the game, you know, we're not there to try and create a story. So I actually really like that because you can ask questions about the game and then, you know, there are going to be times when you ask a tough question, but because you're only talking about the game, you build relationships and actually, you know, I find if you get your questioning right, you get some really good answers and there's a trust level and sometimes you can get more out of somebody instead of just jumping straight in with uh, a, a question that's kind of trying to get another story out of it. Right, right. I think we're obsessed with with narrative, you know, and trying to find yeah. that. And and sometimes you just want to watch the game for the game and, and question the game and the decisions that were made there. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we were talking earlier, you mentioned, you know, you were, you were there at the game, so you didn't see the Saints match live, but you, you've gotten to watch the Saints a fair number of times as a fan this year. And, you know, looking at, uh, at what you saw in terms of, of lineup and, and personnel and things like that, uh, how did you feel kind of going into yesterday's match against Burnley who, you know, were, are winless since, since Christmas? Um, you know, what were you expecting from the match? And, and did you think we put out the right team to kind of obtain that result? Do you know what? Burnley are a tough team to play seventh in the Premier League. Sean Dyche has done an amazing job, hasn't he, over the last kind of few years and kind of remind us of where we were a couple of seasons ago, right? Kind of seventh, eighth in the table. We were a tough team to beat. Um, yeah, so Burnley, it's not an easy fixture. So going there, I was a little bit worried thinking, you know, we need three points, you know, our next few games that we've got coming up, you know, our next three, we really have to win because then we start playing the big boys and we could be in some serious trouble if we don't. So, you know, Burnley was a game we have to get something. I think a win was kind of what we ideally would have liked, but you know, you'll take a point away at Burnley because it's a tough place to go. Team selection wise, um, yeah, do you know, it's tough because I was talking in the studio with um, Don Hutch the other day. And if you look at the personnel that we've got available to us, we shouldn't be where we are in the league. You know, not that any team is too good to be in a relegation battle because, you know, you, your performances are a true reflection of where you are. But 
you know, if you just look through our lineup yesterday, you know, I think strong at the back. McCarthy, I think, has done beautifully in goal since he's come in. Really brought some real confidence at the back, which we were missing. Cedric and Bertrand, massive fans of those. I think centre-back-wise, Stevens has been great. Hoot's come in. I still think what we we might get punished for not replacing Van Dijk or a player of, of a stronger calibre. Middle of the park, Lamina. Sensation. How the hell did we manage to sign him from Juve, right? What a player. Um, you know, I'd love to say that he's going to be with us for the next five years, but I think, unfortunately, he might be one of the, the next ones out the door when people realise how good he is. And it really surprised me that he's not been starting as regularly until recently. I know he picked up a little bit of a knock and things, but... You know, I think he's a wonderful player to have in there. Um, Dusan, I love Dusan Tadic and he's just been off colour the last couple of years. And I think the reason why is that we didn't replace Graziano Pella. When Pella left, what he did for the team was amazing. Yes, he tried to do the spectacular and it was a little bit frustrating sometimes, but he got the goals. He would hold the ball up, which is then what brought Tadic in and brought Mane in. And I don't think we've not really replaced, again, like we maybe haven't replaced Van Dijk, we've not replaced that kind of player like Pella. When Austin plays, he kind of does that. He holds the ball up and if you know if he's not going to get a shot on goal, he'll bring other players into the game. So I feel for Dusan. I know he gets a bit of a stick from the fans, you know, because you know he does get frustrated easy and maybe doesn't give that final ball. But, you know, I still think Dusan's in the team. Prowse, James Ward-Prowse, great deliverer of the ball. I think a few of the goals in the last few games we've scored have come off James's corners or free kicks. And, you know, he's a great deliverer of the ball. But again, I think he needs a bit of just regular football, you know, captain for the England under-21s. And he's kind of been a bit plant under Puel last year. This year under Pellegrini, he's played a bit more, but I just think he needs time. Um, Redmond is an interesting one. He reminds me a lot of Fabrice Fernandez who always used to get the ball, cut inside, cut back again, and not give the final ball. Um, you know, Redmond's got great pace. When we played, uh, I can't remember what the game was, I think it was Huddersfield the other week. And for once, he ran in a straight line. He beat his man and he was in on goal. And I was just like, yes, come on. Yes, more of that, please, Nathan. You know, kind of, he's got that potential. And I think Claude Puel kind of didn't make it easy for Marat when he arrived, saying he was the next Thierry Henry. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's tough, isn't it? You know, it's the same with Sofiane Buffel. You know, a great player, great skill, but just doesn't give that ball quick enough. And then... You know, Carrillo up front, you know, yet to see an impact from him. Obviously, there was a lot of excitement signing a player from Monaco. Um, but a couple of friends of mine, Billy and James, are Monaco fans. And um, they were like, he's third choice. So, um, you know, Falcao <laughs> keeps him out the side. So, yes, it's great signing a player from Monaco. And I know Southampton have got a you know a great system in place of, of scouting players. And, and there's obviously something they've seen with him that he can bring to the team. Um, so, yeah, you know, lineup yesterday, strong. I think you know, we looked at the bench as well. We had, I like Hoiberg as well, again. I just think just as there is something missing, but I don't know what it is. But line up for yesterday, you know, we've got to got to go with that little bit of enthusiasm. I mean, we've got to got to go. Every game's a cup final now, especially these next next few. Yeah, yeah. For me, you know, when we look at our center backs, if we, we'll start there, because I think McCarthy, Cedric, and Bertrand have been great. There's there's no replacing them. There's no uh, kind of there's nobody coming in to take their spot right now. Uh, but you look at our center backs, and you know, you look at the the last couple of goals that they have scored. And Steven's header was kind of this flicked header, um, you know, nothing, not, it was very graceful, very kind of, uh, I don't even know what the, what, the, what, the, what the proper way to describe it is, but it was, uh, it wasn't this kind of big thundering kind of thumping header that we were, are, we're used to seeing kind of defenders score, you know, and yeah. it's usually this bullet into the corner or down into the ground. And his is kind of just this nice flick thing into the far post. That's like, you know, wow, that was, you know, great. Uh, and then you you see Hoot score uh, last week. And it's this nice kind of side-footed volley into the in the corner, and and that kind of sums them up. They're both very good with their feet. They're both very yeah. technically gifted, uh, but neither of them are are the strongest in the air. And 
you worry about them being out muscled by, by just about any, any kind of center back who's going to hold the ball up, you know? Um, so I think that is going to be a worry for us because we don't have, uh, the, the center back to kind of cope with that. And now with, with Yoshida out, you know, we're one injury away from having Benrack in there and he's young. And when we got him kind of over the summer, he was never supposed to be the guy that's going to come in and start. He was supposed to kind of be in the youth team and, and kind of, you know, develop and, and maybe get a game here or there. But, uh, you know, he's, he's one step away from, from being in the premier league kind of limelight going down the stretch where we're fighting for survival. So yeah. that, that to me is a little worrying. Um, and then you look in the midfield and, and Romeo was so good last year, um, yeah. in terms of, of breaking up play and, 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 and this year, maybe he's, he seems a little bit slower. He seems to, to be a little bit more ponderous and making a few more mistakes. But then you look at, at, at Lamina, who, like you said, has been fantastic. And, and that, that kind of, that partnership there, who, who's going to play between, between Lamina, Romeo and Hoiberg, I think is, is the manager's kind of most difficult decision. Um, because moving forward, I think James Ropraus has to stay. Uh, I think Tadic, despite what he says, I think him playing in that 10 role where he was yesterday, that's, I think that's where he needs to play. And then whoever yeah. you have out on the left, whether it's Redmond or, uh, Buffal, uh, they offer something different. Uh, and then, you know, we saw an impact from Sims off the bench yesterday and then up top, you know, I think as soon as Austin is fit, he'll be, he'll be back in the team. Um, mm-hmm. even though Carrillo did, did nicely send that ball back across the area for Gabby Dini yesterday. But then yeah. you wonder kind of where, where is he at? You know, he, he hasn't really been given the chance and maybe, maybe, he, maybe the goal he scored yesterday gives him a chance to to start, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that the the manager really wants him in there that, that much. Otherwise I think he would have been there already. Yeah. It's an interesting one, Gabbiadini, because he kind of really kind of set the world on fire, didn't he? He came in and scored those five goals, wasn't it? His first few games. Um, I think he, he kind of, if you watch him play, he always likes it on his left foot. If he's got it on his right, he's kind of not interested um, and he kind of almost wants like a perfect ball as well. But then again, I don't think we give him the right service as well. You know, he wants it in his feet. He wants to be able to play. Um, but, yeah, no, I, th- I think he can obviously score goals. I think it's just the supply and the way we play football, you know, trying to get it get it out wide. I, I remember watching Saints play over the last few years. You know, we had this intensity. We had this play. We'd be up on the halfway line. We'd play across the back. We'd try and get wide. We'd get long. We'd whip a ball in or try and play it back into the middle. And it just kind of just, it just doesn't feel like that's happening this year. You know, it's just slow. And by the time we've got the ball up there, the defence have got back and the whole kind of element of surprise is gone. Um, so I don't know if that's maybe just a Puel kind of style of play that then obviously Pellegrino's continued through. Because um, I think when we do maintain the possession, we do seem to maintain it a lot deeper this year. And we just seem that little bit slower in getting forward, which I guess, you know, just takes that element of surprise away. I think what a lot of people have, have mentioned is that we don't really have an identity, you know, at least completely, you know, under, under Pochettino and under Kuman, there was always, it was very clear what the, what the game plan was. And this year and last year, it does, even, I guess last year was, was, there was more of an identity. It was that we were going to hold yeah. on to the ball. Uh, but this year it doesn't seem like, it seems like we're caught between wanting to do too, too many things with the ball and not really being clear about what we're supposed to do and what the main responsibilities of players are when we have the ball and are in transition or, you know, whether we're back on, on defense and, you know, you look at Redmond yesterday and that he's really the only pace in the lineup uh, going forward, unless mm-hmm. you, you you count the fullbacks, but he, like he was said before, he doesn't run at people enough, you know? And, yeah. and if you're, if you're going to be that, that one guy with pace, that's kind of what we need you to do is, is run the ball down in the channel and, and get it into the middle for the center forward and, and the other winger and you know the the attacking midfielder to to get in on and, and try to score goals and it just it just didn't happen and yesterday large parts of yesterday were kind of forgettable and whether it's the way Burnley set up or the way we we attacked it you know 
I was looking like trying to find something to type on the notes so that I could talk about it today. And it was difficult at times. Mm. Yeah. And, and it is tough, isn't it? Especially, especially when you look at Bernie as well, because they are a good side, you know, Nick Pope in goal as well, pulled off some great saves yesterday as well. Um, a bit like McCarthy wasn't it? The goalkeepers were, were a big highlight of yesterday's of uh, yesterday's action. But yeah, it's just it's frustrating to watch as well because you know these players can do it. Um, and like you say, it's just there's it, that little bit of lack of identity is is there. But you know, I'm hoping we can find something. You know, these players have got experience; they know how to win football matches. And I just really hope these next three are going to be crucial. You know, if we can win the teams around us and get a bit of confidence, you know, that point we'll take some confidence from that. We've had a few wins, obviously, in the FA Cup, which is good. We've only won one league game in the last five. So, you know, we really need to kind of take this momentum forward now as much as we can and hopefully, you know, get a result against Stoke, which is going to be a big one. Yeah, I, that, that's a question that I'd like to, to kind of ask you is, you know, people talk about the the cup run being good for morale and good for all this. But for me, being here in the States, and this is completely selfish. Anytime anybody asks me, you know, do you want us to win the FA cup or do you want us to stay up? Like if, if I have to choose one or the other, I'm probably going to choose stay up simply because if, if we go down to the championship, I will lose a lot of access to the team. Um, uh, in terms yeah. of, I won't be able to watch and things like that. Not that I want to deny us a, a major trophy. Cause I think that is a day that the, the fans that go week in week out will never forget and truly enjoy. And we still talk about, uh, you know, 76 and all of that stuff. But for me, you know, I want to be able to watch the team. And if that's selfish, I, I'll hold my hands up and say, sure, like that you can accuse me mm. of that. That's fine. Um, but, you know, winning these matches in, in the cup, it doesn't seem to carry over to the next week. You know, we, we don't seem to be yeah. building on the performances and capitalizing on the on the things that we were doing well one week. And, and for me, that's the, the most frustrating thing as, as somebody who's coached and and kind of worked and I work with with students I'm a teacher and so every day you know we try to build on what we did the next time or the last time and we try to get better a little bit every day and 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 look for some sort of improvement going forward and whether it's short or long term and I don't see that with the team and for me that's frustrating I think for a lot of fans that's frustrating yeah no completely and I think you know it's great to to win games we've got Wigan up next obviously in the cup as well you know and they called up, pulled off a big shot, beating Man City, you know, so they're not going to be, it's not going to be an easy game. Um, you know, you look at kind of Swansea and that, you know, the threat of replays and things is like, you know, do we really want to be messing around with that? You know, because then it's another game you've got to play. It's more tired legs. And, you you know, when you look at Saints' remaining fixtures, you know, they've got some big ones on the way that, you know, these next few are key, but then we have got to play Arsenal still, we've got to play Chelsea still, got Man City still to play. They're games that you're going to need your focus and need your legs, especially if we get to Man City on the last day of the season, needing to win, you know, kind of we don't want to be in a position where everyone's tired because we've got to a FA Cup semi-final and we've had to replay a quarter-final and, and all those bits and pieces. So, you know, look, there's a real opportunity for Saints to get a little bit of glory this year. I hope, you know, I really do hope it's not one where we get to win the FA Cup and go down like Wigan did a few years back. But, right. you know, Premier League survival is key. You know, the Premier League globally is such a massive league, but the championship, you know, I think it's the fourth most watched in the league. It is a tough league. So you go into that championship and it's not going to be a springboard. It's not going to be one where we could go down and come back up again like Newcastle did last year. If you if you look how strong the championship is, um, it's a very tricky league to get back out of again. So, you know, Southampton's attention needs to be staying in the Premier League um, for the future of the club. And like you said, globally, the exposure as well, you know, for, for the team being in the Premier League brings so much revenue and that exposure, which is so important. So, yeah, the focus has got to be in staying in the league and say these next fixtures, you know, Stoke is massive, Newcastle, West Ham. We need to be picking at least six points up from those. And lots of teams in this relegation kind of area, anywhere from kind of, you know, 13th down, even you know, Bournemouth are on 32 points. They could get drawn a little bit as well with Watford and 
Everton are on 34. You know, I think that's maybe a little bit further further away and they won't get pulled in when you look at the teams that are down already and who they've got next coming up. But lots of teams are playing each other. So, you know, Southampton need to win these games because that will then put Stoke even into more trouble. They've only won one in their last five as well, drawn their last two. And, you know, if Saints can pick up three points, then it's just another little point that puts you away a little bit further than Newcastle. If you can beat them, it's another point. And, you know, it's it's important because especially, you know, with Arsenal-Chelsea coming up after that West Ham game, that is, um, that's going to be a tricky few weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's, I've kind of been looking at it and saying that if we're not kind of out of the, the danger of relegation by the end of March, uh, you know, after West Ham, I think we're in trouble because yeah. Arsenal and Chelsea, those are, those are, those are tough. Uh, and then you get Leicester, which, you know, it didn't go well last time. Um, I'll just say that. Uh, yeah. Bournemouth's always tough. We, we don't seem to, you know, that's always one of those games that it is going to be a, a bigger game than it, than it maybe it needs to be because I think the fans, even though a lot of fans say it's not a Derby and I, I tend to agree with that, but it, it always feels like that. It seems like the players kind of take it as that as, as well. Um, especially Bournemouth. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, like you said, last day of the, of the year, it's, it's, uh, it's man city. And last year we had Stoke on the last day and, and, you know, could have used a win and couldn't pull that off. And, now it's Man City, and that's a whole different kind of kind of story. So it, 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 we are in, I think, in real danger of of losing this and, and going down, and that would be it would be tragic, I think. But um, yeah, it'd be a real shame after everything the club's done over the last few years. You know, it'd be a real shame if, if Southampton did go down. You know, it, we've we've done so much, and I think we're just paying the price for not recruiting properly. You know, we know we're not going to win the Premier League. We know we're not going to win that little top six league and be involved in that. But anywhere from seventh down. You know, if we could think, you know, we should be really competing for seventh, eighth and trying to get to a cup final, not struggling in this bottom half, you know, and I think, you know, we've paid the price. Yes, we're going to sell players. And I haven't got a problem with that. You know, when we when we've sold players to the past and, you know, we've pretty much built an entire Liverpool squad. You know, I don't mind that. You know, that's that's part of business. It's part of of life. You know, you're not going to keep hold of these players. And do you know what? Do we begrudge players going and getting the chance to win themselves a Champions League medal? No, maybe, yes, we begrudge the manner in which they do it. You know, I think there's a, there's a right way, certainly, to to get yourself to a different club. And there's a few players in recent times that maybe haven't done it the right way. But at the end of the day, you know, we just need to stabilise ourselves a bit more, bring some of these youth players through again, and just kind of find that Southampton way again, which I think we've well and truly lost at the moment. Yeah, and, and I, I guess for me, coming into the Premier League relatively recently, um, I, I full on bought into to that, you know, the idea that we were bringing youth players through and I, and even looking at the youth players that had gone on to play for, for Arsenal or, or gone uh, t- guys that had come through that we've recruited that have gone to Liverpool. I, I like that aspect. I, I always talk mm-hmm. about the fact that uh, the Houston Astros are, are my major league baseball team that I, I like, and they made a huge mistake or maybe not a mistake. They took a, they took a chance in, in like 2005. Uh, they bought, they bought a guy and they sold like kind of their top nine prospects to get him, And mm-hmm. they, failed they they lost their their kind of run towards the world series uh they changed general managers said we're never going to do this again you know we're going to we realized that we just set ourselves up for you know five or ten years of of real heartache and we're going to finish bottom of the league and this is just what it's going to be and as a fan i looked at that and said and then watched them build prospects and 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 buy the right players and do it the right way and then this year when they got kind of right on the cusp of winning, they went out and they made some purchases that were, that were key because they needed it to get over the hump and they won the world series. And like that was, that, that had been coming since 2005. And so to see kind of saints do that and, and kind of say like, you know, we have to take this slowly, but 
you know, we're going to, we're going to buy, buy the proper players and do that. I, I like that aspect. And so that was kind of what hooked me in. That was, that was it. Now that we d- we're not doing that, you know, we, we saw Sims come in yesterday, but we really don't have that many youth players coming through and it's, I don't know, it's, it's been weird. And, and you look at, at Les Reed and, and the black box and all that stuff and kind of wonder, you know, has everybody else caught up or, or what's really kind of holding us back from, from doing what we need to be able to do. Mm. Yeah. It's uh it is frustrating, but you know, at the end of the day, there's lots of things and conversations that we don't see and hear. You know, there's things that happen inside the club that that we don't know. Um, right. Decisions and players they try to sign, and you know, there's, we've all got little theories, I guess, and philosophies of things that maybe personally we think, but we don't know the full story. Which, you know, it which can be hard as fans, you know, because we want to know what's going on and we love our team so much. But you know, I I think at the end of the day, the people at the club, you know, ultimately they they're there because they love the team as well, you know. And I think the right process is going on. And sometimes things don't work, right? Sometimes you know, if you've got a business, you employ someone, you think, oh, these this this person's going to be really good, and it just doesn't work out. Um, and that's with players, that's with managers. And I just think maybe we've made a couple of wrong decisions, which which happens. Um, but if we can kind of stabilize the ship now, get to the end of the season, stay up, and then you know, I'm sure the club will have a little look and say, right. We can't have that happen again. What do we need to do? And, you know, like say Sims come in, you know, Gallagher's off scoring goals at Birmingham for fun. You know, why can't we bring him back into the fold and have a little, you know, a little play with him and say, look, come on then, show us what you've got. So, look, it's not an easy league. We look at teams like Swansea. They've been struggling for the last few years. And I think this year could be the year that we that they do go down or they've had a good little bit of recent run of form. I think they've kind of come unstuck again. Um, so, look, no team deserves to be in the Premier League. You know, there's no divine right for us to be there, especially those teams from kind of seventh down. So, you know, we've got to work hard for it and fingers crossed we'll find our way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of, I don't know, looking back at the season, it seems like a lot of, a lot of things have gone against us. It doesn't seem like we've gotten very many breaks. Um, Mm -hmm. even either the, the results have gone against us elsewhere, or, you know, we just haven't been, I don't know, very fortunate to get penalty calls or whatever it is. But yesterday I thought we got, we got the benefit of the doubt a little bit. And maybe, maybe this is what we need to kind of kick on because when Burnley scored, I, I didn't really see us coming back into the game. I didn't really see us getting a goal. Um, and Tadic had had a shot early on in, in or early in the first half and it was the outside of his foot and it was, it was, it was, it was well taken and, and Pope did a great job to, to, to brush it off. And, and I think a defender got, got a man, might've got a leg on as well. Um, but other than that, you know, we really didn't threaten a whole lot. And then, you know, we, we conceded the goal and, and whether it's Cedric not closing, uh, his man down enough, not closing Lennon down enough, or, you know, Bertrand kind of going to sleep after the initial ball was, was, was dealt with, um, uh, whatever it is, you know, we went down one, nothing. And I think for me, I, I was kind of deflated at that point. Um, but you know, the manager to his credit, he made some substitutions. Uh, he, he put Sims in, he brought Buffal on for Romeo and that changes kind of the midfield setup because we went more attacking and then Gabby Dini came on for Tadic, uh, and he gets his goal. And even Gabby Dini in that goal, uh, Burnley were really looking for a foul on him, uh, kind of the way he, he went around the defender there. And I don't know, from your perspective, uh, did you see anything yesterday that maybe, uh, I guess, do you agree with, with that? And that maybe we were a little bit fortunate yesterday to, to get that goal. Uh, even Bobby Madley was kind of in the way leading into the buildup of that goal, which allowed Redmond to get on the ball. Um, but did you, did you catch any of those on, on the highlights that, be, that they were talking about on match of the day? Yeah, no, I saw the goal and, you know, look, football's a bit about luck, right? The referee gets in the way and kind of creates a little bit of space for, you, you know, you'll take that. Cause I'm sure there's been decisions against us this season that, you know, have gone the other way, but you know, you've got to just create chances. And I think, you know, Southampton, they, a couple of games I've seen this season, they do create the chances. And I think substitutions are key as well. And 
it's one of the things with Pellegrino, I kind of can't quite put my finger on with him yet. It's because I remember being at the Man United game and we made some substitutions like the last 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, this is good. This is positive. This is, this is what we want to see, that positive substitutions. And then other games this season, I haven't seen it. So it was nice to see that yesterday. Those players come in and make an impact. Um, which I think is going to be key for this rest of the season. Hopefully Gabbiadini's goal will give him a bit of confidence as well. And if he can kind of strake up a little bit of a, a partnership with Carrillo and, and some of the other players around, I think will be great because it's it's momentum now is what we need. You know, momentum, luck, you know, like you said, coming back yesterday when it kind of felt like maybe we weren't in it. You know, maybe that's what we need, that little bit of bite, that little bit of hunger. And hopefully that maybe have, may have been brought to life yesterday. Yeah. Um, on match, did they talk about McCarthy potentially handing, handling that ball outside the area at all? Or did they kind of gloss over that? Do you know, I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. I, saw, I saw that one, you know, so I've not seen that. Yeah, there, there was a, a slight instance yesterday where he kind of came out right on the edge grabbed the ball, then dropped it and then kicked it out of bounds. And it was, everybody was calling for a penalty and he said he should have been red carded. But, uh, I, I don't know. From what I saw, I, I, I couldn't, it's hard to tell, you know, is it over the line? And, and Madley was looking right at it. He was kind of right in line with it and he didn't say anything. So I think we, hmm. but that was one of those things where maybe, maybe we got away with it, but we'll see. Um, okay. So is there, is there anything else in, in the match then that you kind of want to talk about? Or I think we kind of, we kind of went big picture on a lot of the stuff, but I think that kind of, I think it's necessary. I think we kind of, it kind of encapsulates what's going on with, with the club. Yeah, no, for sure. I think so. Yeah. I think we kind of covered all the bases that we really on the game and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So in the end, you know, we get a point away at Burnley. That's not a bad result. It wasn't maybe the best performance, but maybe what we need to be able to take from it is that even if we didn't perform as well as we would have liked to, we still managed to get a point, which is which is good. And and, and you never know how important it's going to be. I think uh, Benali tweeted yesterday, you know, that that could be a huge point coming into the season. I think every point is huge. I mean, we only have, you know, what, 27 or 28 of them total. So it's it's, you yep. know, we, we need them uh, at this point. And. Um, with some of the results going, going our way yesterday, uh, we're out of the relegation zone. It's on goal difference, but we'll, we'll take it because at the end of the year, at the end of the season, it doesn't matter what, how you're out of there, just as long as you're above that line. And, yeah. and I think that for the most part that, that, that that's okay. Um, we didn't get any closer to 10th place, which I thought was interesting. You know, we're, we're just as many points away from 10th as we were before, but, um, that's kind of the way it goes. Um, so now kind of, kind of moving forward. Uh, there, there was some news this this week about about Jose Font. He's he's now gone from West Ham to China. Um, yep. Is is that? I mean, as a as somebody who watched him kind of for all those years, kind of coming up with us through the leagues, does that does that hurt you at all? Or the fact that he's making making this move, maybe it's for money. Who knows what it is? We don't know any of his kind of personal finances or or personal reasons for doing this, but. Uh, are, are you okay with him kind of making that move or, or do you care at all? Yeah, you know what? I think the main, the main reason he wants to go is obviously to get himself some game time. It's something he's clearly not getting at West Ham. And, you know, he wants to go to the World Cup if he can with, you know, Portugal after, of course, doing so well with uh, them in the Euros, you know. So he wants to kind of keep himself in that international, you know, frame of things um, for the summer. But do you know what? Do I care that he's gone? Do you know what? He put an interesting post on Instagram yesterday with Nicola Cortese. And a few of the fans had reacted to it saying, <laughs> bring back Cortese to Southampton and bits and pieces as well. And, you know, I always think with these scenarios, you know, when players leave a club, like I'm a big fan of Adam Lallana. You know, I think he's a great player. Um, and maybe the manner he left the club, you know, the fans weren't too happy with and they give him a bit of stick. And I think for someone like Jose Font, you know, he did a great service for our club. You know, he played at a good level. Yes, he wanted out. Again, we don't know what happens behind the scenes. Was there something going on we don't know about? Was it personal reasons? Um, you know, maybe didn't leave in the right manner or, or conduct it in the right way. Fans, you know, you know, at the end of the day, we're fans. We love our club, right? We don't get to change our club. It's it's who we love. And, you know, it hurts us 
if someone does something that we don't like. But for me, I think at the time it always hurts. But on reflection, I think, you know, what a great player he was for us. You know, that journey that he came through with joining us and going to the Premier League and the way he kind of led the team from the back. He was a leader. And, you know, I think that's kind of one of the things we might be missing now is someone that leads. Van Dyke led and he led. And I think, you know, he's going to China and I wish him the best of luck for that. And I, and I hope he kind of gets the regular footballs after. I'm sure he's going to add a little bit while he's out there as well. And, you know, it'll be a nice new challenge for him. But, you know, no, I don't I don't begrudge him the chance of going to China. And so I, w- I wish him well. And, you know, would I take him back at Saints? Don't think so. I don't think I think he's lost a few yards now from, for what we need. But, you know, I think he was a great servant from the club. And hopefully in time, all the other fans will think that as well. Yeah, I I he's one of those guys that I, I like defending. I like defenders. Um, it's partially because I can't dribble. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> but it, it is one of the reasons that I that's where I tend to play. But, um, you know, my my background on my computer at work for a long time was, was him and, and Van Dyke and uh, mm-hmm. my phone case was him and Van Dyke. And I, I, I really kind of looked up to the way those two played uh, together and to see him move on and to see him go to West Ham and, and then maybe not get the, the game. He made so many mistakes early on. And, and part of me wants to kind of go like, ah, that's what you get, you know, but in, in the end he, he was so vital for the club for so long that he, he, I, I don't know. I think as time goes on and, and people's feelings will, will soften a little bit and he'll be remembered, I think more fondly than maybe he is right now. Um, and we got good money for him as well. And, you know, I think those first few games for us that he played that season before we went to West Ham, you know, he was he did, he had lost half a yard, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, that, that player he was the season before, you know, before he went to that was before the European sun, wasn't it? That season yeah, yeah, before yeah. he was, he was on fire. He's phenomenal. He came back in that season after just, for me, it personally felt like he'd lost half a yard in the yard and was getting caught. So, you know, for, for Saints as a business perspective, I think it was a great bit of business, you know, let's get as much money when we can. I think West Ham have made like a, three million pound loss on him, I think, by sending him out, out right. to China. I think they've got about five million for him. So, you know, from, from a business perspective and a team perspective, you know, I think Saints did well out of the deal and maybe it was the right time to move on. But, you know, you, you can't begrudge him, you know, going out to China and things. And I think, you know, hopefully in time, like you said, you know, we'll look at it more fondly and go, do you know what? Thanks very much, Jersey. I appreciate everything you did for us. Yeah. I I was really hoping that I was going to be able to see him when we went to West Ham. That was like one of the one of the things I was really yeah. excited about. And so that's not going to happen. But, you know, maybe we'll get to see him play in the World Cup uh, this summer. But uh, we'll, we'll see. And yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, we do have a few listener questions uh, that, that did come Go in. For it. Uh, one of them relates to Saints and it says, simple one. This is from Dan, who's at Holy Hoiberg. Uh, he says, simple one, do you think Saints should play two up top next week? Yes or no? I think, but I don't think we've got the personnel to do it because obviously with, with Yoshida and things, we've played really good football this year when we went three at the back and played the two wing backs. So effectively kind of playing five at the back, but the wing backs pushing forward. Uh-huh. Um, the intensity we played with that, you know, we played against Tottenham and things like that. I think at times that I've seen us play that formation, we're so much more on the front foot because we've got that little bit of security at the back because you've got the extra personnel. And then if we pull the trigger at the right time and can go, I think it works because then effectively you end up with almost like three up front really uh-huh. with by the time you've got the wingers up there as well. Um, so two up front, I don't, I don't, I don't think that necessarily works for us personnel wise. You know, I, I think actually playing with Dusan just off, you know, holding the ball, playing that number 10 role, I think just looking at personnel wise, what we've got, I think let's not try and mess around with performances and, and shape too much and, and tactics. Let's just stick to kind of what we know, but if we get the intensity, right. And I guess get, keeping control of security is going to be a big one. I think he's got three and three now. So kind of maybe have, if we were able to play three at the back with the wing backs, so that might just shore things up defensively a little bit, but Two up top, I don't think we're, I don't think it will be ideal. I think, you know, we need to, watching Stoke play at Bournemouth the other week, if you can catch, catch them kind of on the counter, I think that's maybe our, our better chance. 
Yeah, and, and that's where a guy like Sims or, or Redman, if he will run at them, will be. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, they'll be yeah. it'll be necessary and it'll be influential. And uh, if if we're going to get a point or, or three there, that's that's kind of what we need. Um, and and so then the the wonder is is you know I think Long is is injured currently, but maybe he'll be back by then. But you kind of wonder who's going to who's going to start up top. It'll probably be uh, Carrillo. But you know one thing I can see him maybe doing is is if you drop Gabbiadini back into the ten roll and push. Tadich out wide to the left, like maybe that works, but I'm not yeah. sure. Then I'm not sure Gabby Dini is going to create all of those chances, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and so I, I think Tadich is it's much better at that. And if you get late in the game where you have to sacrifice, maybe a holding midfielder to try to get a goal, that's when you can, that's when you can put the other guy up top because you're going for it. Cause it doesn't matter if you lose two, nothing or one, nothing or two, one or, or three, one, Yeah. You, you know, you know, you need points. So, uh, yeah. that's for me, I think that's, that's how it goes, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, Christian Candler, who's at Candler ability, uh, on Twitter says as a TV presenter, uh, do you have a favorite match that you've ever presented? So this wasn't a match, but it was incredibly special for me as a Saints fan. Um, the night before we played into Milan in the Europa league last year, um, I was working for premier league news and I did the press conference during the day when I was training in the morning and I was in the stadium at half past six at night, the night before the game. Stadium was empty. All the kind of Europa League branding was up. And it was an incredibly special moment for me just being stood there. And I've got a really nice picture of it, which is on my social media. And, you know, it's um, actually we've kind of cut the, uh, cut the picture of me out for the front of the book and things. So it's one of those days that just sticks with me um, as a Saints fan. It was an incredibly special moment. There was a real special feeling within the stadium the whole day for me. Um, and that opportunity, arguably one of the biggest games in, in the club's history, you know, playing into Milan in the Champions League, uh, in the Europa League at home, um, was special. So for me, that would that would be the matching game. I went the next night and watched it with my dad and I went as a fan. But yeah, that opportunity to kind of talk about the game the day before and, and kind of share the news with the world about what was happening at my little club was uh, was special. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I remember watching that match. It was It was really, really special. And that's, you know, in, in recent memory, other than the cup final, which is, you know, about, about a year ago today. Um, yeah. that's one of those things that I think fans that were there for it, they're going to remember that for yeah. who knows how long, you know, that's going to be something they talk about. Um, and, and I think we were all hoping we were going to do it again and, and it hasn't yeah. quite worked, but, uh, it doesn't mean it's not going to come back and doesn't mean we're, we yeah. can't get back there. So, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah. Um, and I, and I have a question kind of on the presenting thing is, you know, yeah. is there a particular interview uh, that you've ever that you've done that kind of sticks out in your mind as being, you know, one one that you really, really enjoyed, whether it's a Saints player or not? I think the interview for me, there's been a, there's been a couple over the years. Um, I remember interviewing uh, Jose Font at the last game of the season um, and I did the interview with him. It made match today and his little son came in the interview as well. So that was quite cool. A little like cute special moment. You know, I was like, oh, come on then. And no one else got the interview. It was just me and, and Jose and his son. And that was really cute. And the, his kid was getting involved with the interviews. That was nice. But for me, the the best, the most important interview, I think, for my career to date so far has to be my Gordon Strachan interview. I was 18, 19 years old. Um, very kind of raw and experienced at interviewing and meeting people. And I was working with Tommy Boyd at the time. He said, Michael, who do you want to interview? And, and Gordon Strachan's name come up because he was bringing a Celtic team down to play in Klaus Lindvarm's testimonial. And I spoke to the press office at Celtic and said, is there any chance I could do an interview with Mr. Strachan? Yeah, yeah, no problem. We'll sort something out. He's, he's promised he'll do one. You know, we'll sort it out. 
Anyway, doesn't materialize. A couple of days later, they email me and said, oh, here's a phone number, make a call and the interview will happen. And it was Gordon Strachan's personal mobile number. He invites me to his house, not a team hotel. And I remember getting there and, and ringing the kind of doorbell, these massive electric gates swing open. And there's a guy that stood there that I wanted to play for that took my team to an FA Cup final, that took our team into Europe that I kind of idolized as a manager and wanted to play for. And here I am now interviewing him at his house. Um, it was very surreal. And, you know, he was, a, he was a wonderful guy. And I talk about it in the book as a, as a real turning point for me of really proving that I need to pursue this career. I kind of sat with him for about half an hour, did an interview and talked about the team that he managed in Klaus and Svensson and that defensive lineup that he had at the time with Anthony Amy and the midfield and, you know, the strike force. And obviously when he left the club and, you know, it was amazing. And then I spoke for another 45 minutes with him, you know, off camera and off the interview and an incredibly charming man um, was amazing. The next day in the tunnel, he kind of said hello to me and everyone was like, who's this young kid? So that for me <laughs> is still one of the uh, one of the most definitive interviews I think I've done so far because it the way it inspired me is uh, is phenomenal. You know, there's inspiration's key for me. I've got a, I've got a really cool piece of Southampton memorabilia. Um, which inspires me as well, which is really cool. But it's important to kind of have that little bit of inspiration. That interview with Gordon was, uh, was insane. What's going through your mind when the, when those gates swing open, you know, are you like, what's going on? How, why is this really happening? How is this going on? Or what, what are you thinking at that point? Everything, you know, even down, (laughs) there's a real funny thing I mentioned in the book is that he, um, he brings in a cup of tea and a plate of biscuits. So he was still finishing his dinner. So I had like 15, 20 minutes just sat in his lounge pondering. And you kind of like, you're thinking about your questions. Are your questions going to be right? You know, you don't want to ask him a stupid one because obviously Gordon Strachan was known for not being the most friendly with journalists. And here I am (laughs) in his lounge. It's not just in the tunnel. I'm in his lounge. And, um, you know, you look at the tray of biscuits and then your mind wanders thinking, well, do I take a biscuit or not? You know, and you have this kind of argument with yourself. No, don't take a biscuit. Well, actually, no, do take a biscuit. You know, is it going to, is he going to think I'm rude if I don't take a biscuit? Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you have every single thought process going through your mind, especially at that age as well. Um, you know, and the interview went amazing and, and, I've, and I've got it on a CD somewhere and, uh, and I'm sure I'll dig it out again in the next few months and listen to it and think, is that really me? Some squeaky 19 year old, you know, asking Mr. Strachan a question. But, um, yeah, you know, those, those things are key. And I say that those little things inspire me. And I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, we're talking that's 10 years ago now and it's still one of those things yeah. that sticks with you. And I think that's, you know, that, that, that it has to be a huge turning point for you and, and giving you some confidence that, you know, you're, you're doing it, you're doing the right thing. And I think that's, that's great. Yeah. It's so important. Inspiration. Like literally I, I mentioned the piece of memorabilia. I've got one of the FA cup winners medals from 1976. Dave Peach is a, as a family friend and he kind of, um, my, he got given to me for my 17th birthday, but when I was 13, 14, he kind of passed me this medal and said, look, whatever you want in life, if you want it bad enough, you can get it. And uh, Dave's still a good friend. And I was on the phone to him the other week. He's a lovely guy, David Peach. And, uh, you know, I, I look at that medal every single day and I'm just like, you know what? That inspires me. And inspiration's key. Like I said, with the with the book and stuff, you know, you, you need things in life that inspire you. And whether it be that interview I did or, or something tangible like the medal and things like that, you know, you, you need that bit of inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and kind of on that note, um, the book comes out in September. Uh-huh, uh, that's the plan. That's the plan. Um, and I'm going to, I'm looking for a copy of it when it, when it comes out. So, uh, we'll make sure we kind of, uh, announce it and I'm sure you'll make plenty of announcements and things like that. Um, yeah. but you're also working on a podcast for it. Um, yeah. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? What's it going to be about? Is it, gonna, is it going to kind of accompany the book or is it going to be, uh, if, if people don't have the book, will they still be able to listen to the podcast or, or are you sure? Or how, how's that working out? So the plan with the podcast is going to be just meeting inspirational people. You know, I've, I've highlighted a few that I'm going to try and speak to. Um, 
yeah, I'm very lucky with the book, you know, that it kind of can stand alone and there's lots of things that can go around it, like the talk. And, you know, I'm very lucky that hopefully it's going to get lots of appeal. You know, I've got Eddie Howe from Bournemouth, who's kindly agreed to write the forward for me. Um, and there's a few other people that uh, people that want X Factor are going to do a little bit for me. So it covers kind of all, all bases. But the podcast is then interviewing those kind of people and saying, look, you know, you've achieved a dream and ambition. How have you done it? What are the secrets? What have you learned? So effectively, you know, that the premise of the book is is my journey with all the lessons I've learned. And I give an example of why that lesson has been important to me, what the lesson is and give other famous examples. So the podcast is going to be, um, you know, relatable to the book because it's going to follow the, the pattern of, look, you know, you've achieved something. How have you done it? What's the secret? You know, what have you learned? Um, and that's how the podcast is going to work. So yeah, whether you've, whether you've read the book or not, the podcast is going to be accessible. And again, for me, it's just inspiring people. You know, I mentioned the FA Cup winner's medal. I look at that every day and it inspires me to, to follow my dreams. Um, so if this book can inspire one or two people, if the podcast can inspire one or two people, um, for me, it's worth all the effort. So it's, it's, um, it's exciting and it's great to be able to give something back, you know, and, when people message you that you've like yourself that have, have spoken to on fan zone, you know, I, I just love meeting people and finding out their story and you know, it's, um, it's important. So yeah, it's good. I, I have to say that to hear you talk about it that way, like it's not, it's not fake, you know, this is, this is really what you believe in, in a, in a world on Twitter and Instagram where everybody is so cynical and everybody, there's a lot of negativity. Um, mm. It is really refreshing to hear you speak that way. And I have to say thank you because I think just, just hearing some of the things that you've said today um, and, and, and watching you on fan zone, like it, I don't know that, that, that alone I think is inspiring. And I think I, I, I have no doubt that it, it will help people kind of going forward. So uh, thank, thanks for that. And, and thanks for being you. And it, uh, I, I have to try really hard to be positive and it, uh, it is, is nice to, to, I think watching you and, and listening to you is, is definitely going to help. So, so thank you. Thanks for having me on. You know, it's great to kind of share the story. You know, I've, I've come from the bottom and worked my way up. My dad's a builder. My mom works in a cafe. So, you know, I, it's been a, it's been a hard journey to get to where I've got to, and there's been tough times and, and, and dark days, but you know, if you can kind of take life on with a smile and just enjoy it, positivity, right? I always think what's the worst that can happen, you know, yeah. as long as you're healthy and you've got the right people around you, you know, people will come and go and, and you'll meet new people. There'll be people in your life. You think it will be there forever and they won't be. Um, and you learn to deal with that and, and things happen in life. And yeah, you know, you, you get one bite of this cherry. So just enjoy it. <laughs> Make the most of it. All right. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Um, no anytime. And, uh, maybe, maybe we'll do this again. Yeah, for sure. Well, when you're over, give me a shout and we'll try and, uh, try and catch up. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. That does it for episode 60 of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed it. Special thanks goes to my guest, Michael Kern, for taking time out of his work week, out of his recovery from knee surgery to join me. Michael, I hope you're healing well, and I'm sorry I forgot to ask about it while we were on the phone. I feel terrible. If you are interested in following Michael on social media, you can find him on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Michael Kern. His website is michaelkern.com. And Desire Dream Vision, his upcoming book and current motivational speech is at desiredreamvision.com. The book comes out in September. Be sure to be on the lookout for it. Special thanks to you for listening. Without you, uh, the show would just be a bunch of really fun interviews for me to do with no one listening to them. So thank you. Special thanks also goes to Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. For all your match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. And Matt, thanks for designing the artwork for the show. I really do appreciate it. 
All the music on this show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the end of show credits, the song you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Poddington Bear. You can follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY on Instagram and Twitter. And we're at Facebook.com forward slash SFCDELIVERY. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. All three of those ways are very good ways to get in contact with the show. If you have suggestions uh, for guests or improvements, or you just want to leave us a comment or some feedback, those are great ways to do it. You can also send us an email at SouthamptonDelivery at gmail.com. Once again, all the links are in the show notes. If this is your first time listening to the show, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to be sure that you get each and every episode delivered as soon as it's ready so you won't miss one. That pretty much wraps it up for this week. But until next time, remember that together, we march on.